If you're staying with us, just to uh, let you know, if you use a, a hearing aid, um, then we should be on the loop system, so if you put it to T, that probably will help you enormously. Brilliant. We're going to read, and then I'm going to show you a film, and then we'll reflect together for a few moments. If you have a Bible, or you can reach for one, turn with me to Luke chapter 1, please. <clears throat> Luke chapter 1. And I want to read from verse 39, and then I'm going to flick over into chapter 2 as well. So from Luke chapter 1, that time... <laughs> Mary got ready and hurried to a town in the hill country of Judea, where she entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greetings, a baby leaped in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. In a loud voice, she exclaimed, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the child you'll bear. But why am I so favored that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as the sound of your greeting reached my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. Blessed is the one who's believed that the Lord would fulfill his promises to her. And Mary said, my soul glorifies the Lord and my spirit rejoices in God, my savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. His mercy extends to those who fear him from generation to generation. He's performed mighty deeds with his arm. He's scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He's brought down rulers from their thrones, but has lifted up the humble. He's filled the hungry with good things, but has sent the rich away empty. He's helped his servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever, just as he promised our ancestors." Mary stayed with Elizabeth for about three months and then returned home. I'm going to pick it up in chapter 2, verse 1. In those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. And everyone, everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. And while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born, <clears throat> and she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, don't be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Today in the town of David, a saviour has been born to you. He's the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. <clears throat> You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths, and lying in a manger. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven, and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see the thing that's happened. 
that the Lord has told us about. And so they hurried off and they found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. But Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. The shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they'd heard and seen, which were just as they'd been told. I'm going to play a film that was made by the Bible Society a couple of years ago. Enjoy Greer, okay? Deep breath. Deep breath. One more push, just one big push. Come on. Come on with me. I'm so proud of you. Come on. You're doing so well. You're doing so well. Everything I am is lifting up everything you are, God. I'm elated and I celebrate you, Saviour. Who am I? Just some humble servant girl. Yet you were mindful of me. Of me. You clock me, you notice and spot me, the mighty one who's done great things for me, who's shown his mercy and so I'm gonna be called blessed. Blessed by you, God spelt holy. mercy God it's in arms reach for those who fear you who know you and show you all of the honor that's owing you I'm blessed by you God spelt justice you put the proud in their place and performed great deeds you've humbled rulers and given to those in need you put on banquets for the hungry and fill their place with plenty and it's the rich plates of plenty that you leave empty. Your servant Israel, you've helped us and remembered us. You've dished out great portions of mercy upon us. It started with Abraham and you're still doing it. And you always will. 
think about it all, but it's uh, when you see the little toddlers walking around church and you realize actually Jesus was exactly like 
that. Kind of makes it a little bit more, oh. In some ways, it makes it a little bit more ordinary. The passage we read, I wonder if you can just put the slides up for me, Paul. Um, what I want to say this morning is, out of the passages we read, I think what we're designed to do, I think what's supposed to happen is you're supposed to just watch. In our type of church, we're, we're big on do something. <laughs> and a good sermon always ends up with you either feeling guilty because you're not doing something or challenged that you ought to do something. But actually, there's some times where you get to the end of a reading and you're supposed to go, wow. Because God's at work. God's at work beyond you. God's at work despite you sometimes. God's at work and you can get wrapped into that purpose, but actually God's at work. God's doing something. And what you're called to do is to watch and to almost go, wow. As we began the readings, you know that those are the Christmas readings, but of course for Luke, they weren't Christmas readings. <laughs> I don't think Luke ever imagined that we'd do Christmas. I think he was just saying, I want to tell you about Jesus. I want to tell you about how it began. I want to tell you about the remarkable, remarkable thing about God coming to earth. And it begins with, can you just press me on, Paul? It begins with a wonderful song sung by the young woman, Mary, to whom She's been given news that she would be the one that would bear Jesus. And she sings this song about 30 weeks before Bethlehem and about 30 years before Calvary. And says, the song itself, the one that you heard on the film, says this. The ancient dream of Israel has been fulfilled. That everything that God had promised was about to take place. That God has remembered his own purpose and is at work. This is some of the words that are said. Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for he's been mindful of the humble state of his servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is his name. Two things amongst many things that she says is, firstly, I don't need to be intimidated by those who think they have power because God has overturned things. And I don't need to be afraid of the wealthy because God's involved with the poor. And this is how the story of Jesus begins. And he's going to as you read through the gospel, you're going to see it time and time again where he invites people to join him. And right from the beginning, he's saying, don't be intimidated by those who have power and don't be overwhelmed by those who have wealth because actually we're going to be about something different here. Come and join me. And Mary goes, it began. It began way before. It began with the promise. It began that God has overturned something. Watch. This is your God. Watch, because this is the God who calls you into his purpose. This is the God 
who wants you with him. And then we read the story, and um, this could be any Christmas card, couldn't it? Um, it's a sort of classic Christmas card, and most of it actually takes us down the wrong path if we're not careful. It's sentimental, it's clean, and it could be anywhere. But Luke, when he tells you the story, he says, in the days when Quirinius was a governor, in the days when Caesar Augustus was the emperor. He wants you to know that this didn't happen. This story doesn't happen. God doesn't do something once upon a time. He does it in a real place, at a real time, with real people. And three times, Luke will tell you that the baby was placed in a manger. And the reason that we've ended up with this idea of a stable is because we know what a manger is. A manger is a feeding trough. So where do you have feeding troughs? Well, we always thought we have feeding troughs in a barn or a stable. So Jesus must have been born in a stable. But actually, over the years, people have kept on trying to tell us that's not how it was in first century Palestine. You had your animals at night in with you because that was like your central heating. And the animals came onto the bottom floor and the feeding trough would have been at their height, a sheep's height. And then the humans would have been on that, what we might now call a mezzanine floor. And that word, there's no room in the inn, is simply the word for a guest room. It's exactly the same room, uh, a word that Jesus will say, go and prepare the guest room for the Last Supper. It's the same word. So we've got an innkeeper. This is, this is going to play havoc if you've got a school nativity now. Not even come to the octopus. <laughs> and you lay him in a manger. But Luke tells you three times he's going to be lying in a manger. And I was thinking, well, what would the equivalent be for us of a manger that we have in our homes that animals use. And this is my best effort. This is a dynamic equivalent of what Jesus would have been laid in. Let's see. It's a dog bed. It's not any dog bed, it's a John Lewis dog bed that costs 99 pounds if you have a dog. But you've all, if you've got a dog, you've probably got something like that, all right? And, yeah, in a dog house. You've, you've got something like that. Something that you could, if you needed to, you could put a blanket over. And you could put a baby in it. Now, you might get reported to the NSPCC, and I don't suggest you do do this, but you could. You could. Now, the point of the manger is two things. To the shepherds, it's, I'm telling you about, the angels say, I'm telling you about a baby, and this is where you'll find him. Now, if you had to find a baby that was in a dog bed, that would narrow it down a little. In the same way as a baby in a manger would narrow it down a little bit. But the bigger point is this. Jesus wasn't born in an alien place to us. He was born in an ordinary house with ordinary people, with ordinary overcrowding, with an ordinary place where actually you've got to get the emergency chairs out because everybody's come home. 
And actually, there's no place we can actually put this baby. I know what we've got. If we clean up the dog bed, we can put him in the dog bed. This God was born in a two-up, two-down. Or a semi. He was born in our place. This is how the story begins. God who comes close. God who comes close into our world. God who comes close into our place. This is how it begins. Watch this God who steps into our real lives. And then the shepherds, well, they were out in the fields nearby keeping watch. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. And the angel said, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. And suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel, praising God. And what the angels were doing, they were linking heaven and earth. And suddenly... The real world of heaven was breaking in on earth. And to people, and you've heard this sermon now a million times, but to the people who were the outsiders, the shepherds, the people that no one would have expected, the people who no one would have invited, to those people, the message comes. Actually, God's doing something new. I love the idea and I take great comfort in the idea and I keep going back to the idea that what I see is not all there is. That actually there's a bigger picture, there's a bigger scenario, there's a bigger world. And every now and again you get the moments where you seem heaven and earth seem to touch and heaven breaks in. But it's really easy sometimes to imagine it's just this. But actually the angels come and say, heaven's broken in. Something new's happened. And they come and they say four things. They say in the town of David, the promises to David have been fulfilled. And I want to say, and the promises will be fulfilled. What's our big promise? The big promise is not the personal promises to you and to me that you might carry in your own heart. That's not the big promise. The big promise is this, that one day God will round all this up. That we live in the in-between times. That Jesus will come again. That's the big promise. And when I'm just living on this sort of, this is what I can see, then I'm desperately praying, oh God, can you sort out this thing and that thing and that thing? But every now and again, I need to come back and get the big picture and go, do you know what? There's a much bigger picture. I'm living in between the times. I'm living in between the times. Some of us will die first. And if you die, you go and be with him until all things are put under his feet. The big picture we live with, the big story is he will come again. His promises will be fulfilled. He is the saviour. 
He's the Savior who comes from despair and hopelessness, from death and destruction, from sin and guilt, from poverty and hunger. He's the one who comes and says to people like us, there's a new shape for the world. The only people who don't think they need a Savior are the people who think they don't need saving. And I don't know about you, but I think perhaps even the older you get, the easier it becomes to go, do you know what? I know my failings. I know what I'm like. Maybe the blessing of getting older each year is this. You can own up. When you were younger, you kept on trying to defend yourself about what other people thought of you. Now you can get to the stage where you go, I know, I know, I don't need to excuse. It's not someone else's fault. It's not because of this situation. It's because of me. And if you can do that, you're remarkably free. You see, if you keep on saying, well, I'm like I am because... Yeah, in America, they've got this thing called the Statue of Limitation. Um, you heard that phrase? It means that after a certain time, they can't, uh, they, can't, um, they can't do you for a crime, essentially. And one writer I, 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 I read once said, maybe sometimes, for some of us, we've got to give that to our parents. It's kind of like a Statue of Limitation. I can't keep on blaming them. I'm nearly 56 years old. My mum will probably be listening to this right now at some stage or other if it ever gets on the church website. So I want to say, statue of limitation, it's not your fault. It was never your fault. It's never the job I'm in. It's never the way I'm put together. It's me. And if I can say that and not blame other people and not look for other excuses, then actually I'm free enough to go... I need that saviour. Because every time you say it's someone else's fault, you deflect the need you have. Every time you own up and go, it's me. It's not the person I'm married to. It's not the work people. It's not my family. It's me. And it doesn't put you down. It gives you hope. He's the Christ. The Messiah, the one who will fight for us. He is the Lord. Come and watch. Come and see. Come and see that that's who's been born. Come and see that that's the one you're called to believe. That he saves and he's saving and he will save and we are saved. We follow the one who's in the lead ahead of us. And we often feel anxious because we feel we need to make things happen or we feel we need to be in control. And the Christmas story reminds us that like Mary, God did something to Mary that like the shepherds, God came and said, something has happened. The shepherds don't make it happen. It has happened. And for me and you, the message is this. It's happened. Come and see. Come and worship. Come and receive. So the simple thing I want to say this morning is this. If you believe the angels, 
then this Christmas time, rest. I know that sounds, for some of you, like you're running through lists in your head already and all the things you've still got to do. And I know all of that, and it matters. Of course it matters. But actually, deep down, deep, deep down, there's a moment where you go, I'm going to stop being so active. Do you know what I mean when I say some of us, you, you, you go through times of busyness, but there's sometimes when your head's just busy and it's your head. It, you know, it's like it's just it won't stop. There's a moment, perhaps over Christmas, where we just go, I want to rest because I want to notice what God's doing. I want to remind myself that I'm safe. that I'm saved. I want to review the walk so far. I want to watch God unfold his story. So if there were a challenge, it's this. Have you got any awareness of the story that God's got you in? Have you got any awareness of what God's doing around you? Have you got any awareness of the part he's asking you to play? And sometimes it becomes really difficult because you're so anxious about stuff that it's like, I'll just keep on acting in a certain way. Or you become so passive about things that you miss it. But God's got a story and he's wrapped you into it. And maybe Christmas, maybe Christmas is the moment where you just say, God, I'm going to stop being so anxious and I'm going to stop being so busy. I just want to pause. I want to watch what you're doing. Very last thing. One of the things that um, I want to do um, when I work just in one job rather than two jobs is, and I'll talk about this, but uh, one of the things I want to do is to slow down a bit and to take more notice of things. And one of the things I'd love to be able to do is to be able to know more about birds. All right. And it strikes me. I, I know nothing about I mean, I know enough about birds. I know where they are, um, you know, generally. Um, but this is what I, has struck me, is that winter's a good time to take up bird watching. All right. Because I know a lot of birds have gone away, but the birds that have stayed, you can actually see them. All right. I've thought about this a lot. That it's no point taking up bird watching in, in May. Because the, the, I found out yesterday that Steve's a really keen bird watcher. I'll be coming back, Steve. If I say anything that's stupid right now, please don't say anything out loud. Um, but it's, there's no point bird watching, starting bird watching in May because you can't see them. You can see them when there's no leaves on the tree. Because my big problem thus far about trying to bird watch is I can't ever find them. I can hear them, but I can't see them. All right? I've got binoculars and everything. I've even got a bird book, but I can't see the flipping things. But in winter, when things die down a bit, I can hear them, and I've got half a chance of seeing them. And for some of you, in winter, when things die down a bit, you've got half a chance of seeing God. 
And it looks like there's not much happening, but it's the best opportunity to see what he's doing. I want to slow down enough to know what God's doing. Because I can be busy. Like you, I have a list of things to do. Sometimes I write things on my list of things to do that I've just done so I can cross them off. But I want to slow down. Because God's at work. The angels said it. I'm going to ask the folks to come back and play. And we'll pray. This is... This is how God begins. By doing things and then people taking notice. This is how the story begins. And I kind of want to pray for those of you that want to say, God, I want to spot what you're doing again. If things made sense while I was speaking, just while these folks are playing gently in the background, you might just want to pray for yourself for a while. You might want to pray that you might know Jesus as your saviour. The one who gets you out of the situation you're in. The one who rescues you even from yourself. The one who rescues you from sin. And it just might be that for some of you, there needs to be a moment where you just own up and go, it's not anybody else's fault. It's me. Because there's freedom. And to say, I, I come to you, Jesus, as the one who can save me. The one who can transform things. It might be that you were the one who goes, I just need to slow down to know the story that God's got me in. I just want to know what God's doing. I want to see what he's doing. And maybe it's felt like winter in your own spiritual life. But that means that you can actually see easier. And for some of you that are really busy, it's just a matter of coming and saying, okay, Lord, let me still myself enough to be amazed again.
Father God, we come. Come for myself, come on behalf of these folks here. (coughs) Come for those who need to own up and want to own up and go, Lord, it's me. I need a saviour. And I hear the angels with the promise to say, today, a baby has been born and he is the saviour of the world. And so the promise is for you and for me. To all who receive him, he gives them the right to be called children of God. Lord, I come. I pray particularly for those who find it easier to blame others than to accept it for themselves, for those who give excuses, for those who avoid the truth. But Lord, today I pray for liberation, that we might come and simply say, it's me, I need a saviour. come for those who need to see you again, to believe that you're at work around them, to see what you're doing in their families, to see what you're doing in their friendships, to see what you're doing in their workplaces. Lord, I come and I pray that we'll have eyes to see. Come Holy Spirit. I come to those, for those who are really busy in their heads, and I pray that your peace would rest. And that we would be amazed again at a God who becomes flesh and dwells with us. And in a moment or two, when we break bread together, this story that begins in fragility and frailty ends in fragility and frailty. A God who takes on flesh and becomes a baby is the God who hangs on a cross and rises from the dead that we might be free. And it's kind of like if you want to know, can I actually trust the Savior? Can I trust that God's at work? Can I trust that the peace will come? Then coming and taking the bread and drinking the wine is a physical way of going, yes, I commit myself to that. The body of Jesus broken, the cup of the Lord, the covenant in his name says to you that you're included. If you're going to serve, do you want to come and prepare and perhaps serve the band first so they can help us as we come. And then to all of us, you're welcome to come. To come and take as a physical symbol of everything that you might want to pray internally. one of the things that stops people coming sometimes is they go, I'm not good enough. Or I'm not even sure enough. 
And the whole point of it is you come to receive. For he has made the way. So come this morning and receive the body and the blood of Jesus shed for you.